Welcome to Evolve. My name is Brandon Silver and I believe that evolution of the world requires evolution of the individual. I believe entrepreneurs are consistently changing that world and we always will be. So with this show I will bring you the people and ideas with tools necessary to hack your growth in your business and your life. Together let's ask the world's biggest question, build businesses to solve them, and live happy and fulfilling lives in the process. It's time to evolve. Hey everyone, welcome to Evolve. Today's guest is bringing Silicon Valley to the streets of hundreds of underrepresented founders to help them build successful businesses across 16 countries and raise $35 million in funding to scale their tech startups. Not bad for a woman who grew up bankrupt with bad credit and collections, started out as a public teacher for sixth graders, and never intended to set foot in a startup. While pursuing her PhD in urban schooling, she found herself winning a startup weekend and building the beginnings of a tech startup that would become known as the LinkedIn for Educators, which would be backed by Capar Capital, 500 startups, and Imagine K-12, and be used by schools across 28 countries, despite having no connections to Silicon Valley and no entrepreneurial background. With a love for education and entrepreneurship, she began um, she became global director of Startup Weekend Education and scaled the initiative to over six continents, creating the largest community of innovators focused on helping people leverage entrepreneurship to improve education. But wanting to see the other side of the VC table, she spent two years as the founding portfolio service director at Capbar Capital, overseeing a portfolio over 120 tech startups, including Twilio, Asana, and Bitly. But after helping hundreds of startups directly and thousands more from her 100 plus personal online publications, she recognized a gap of resources for those outside of the coveted Silicon Valley circles. In 2018, she launched a six week online program led by the most experienced investors, founders and startup lawyers, training underrepresented founders on how to raise money to scale their tech startup, which has graduated nine cohorts to date, grown its alumni by 1,165% and has its very own million dollar club featuring those who have raised over a million dollars by going through her program. She has received numerous prestigious recognitions such as Forbes 30 under 30, LinkedIn's top 10 voices in venture capital and entrepreneurship, and many more. She has been featured in dozens of publications including TechCrunch, Forbes, Business Insired, Wired, and Black Enterprise to name just a few. And she has delivered her immense knowledge and unparalleled passion as a sought-after speaker on over 80 stages, including TEDx, Google, Facebook, Uber, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I'm honored to welcome the founder and CEO of Founder Jim, a member of First Round Capital's prestigious angel, angel track, and a woman who's been called the OG of EdTech, Mandela Schumacher-Hodge-Dixon. Wow, very, very impressive. Yeah, hi. I'm so excited to be on the show. Well, it's so great to have you on the show. And I enjoyed um, a lot of researching you and the bio pretty much wrote itself. You have been through some amazing things. And one of the first things I'd like to start with in your journey is actually going back quite a far way. And you playing soccer um, from when you were five years old and how that athlete mentality um, taught you things about entrepreneurship? 
Yeah. So I, yeah, I think I, my first time stepping on the foot of a soccer pitch was four years old in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, because I since then had a long career playing soccer. Everyone thinks my family or my parents were huge, like soccer players themselves, but they weren't at all. They just kind of did what the other parents did in America and put your kids in soccer. And so I just happened to really love it. And I think the things that I could look back on and pull from that athletic experience, both from four years old, all the way through elementary, middle school, high school, going on to college, um, being a captain of my division one team, I would say athletics really taught me a lot about discipline and grit in the Mm -hmm. sense of you can actually train yourself to get better, that you do not have a set of skills that stay stagnant, but you are in charge of making yourself as dynamic as you possibly can be. And it just requires training. It requires practice. It requires the work outside of the games that you're putting in. Um, So that was a big aspect to it. And so even as I've evolved into designing my own training programs, not necessarily for athletes, but for entrepreneurs, I've definitely utilized a lot of those best practices in that sports psychology to help founders understand that the skill sets you're coming into this game with are not the skill sets that you have to stay with, that you can actually learn new things. You can develop stronger muscles in different areas of your business. And so that by far was a big part of it. Another big part of it was teamwork. You know, at the end of the Mm -hmm. day, business is people and it's a group of people behind the logo, mission statement, all the fancy stuff you see on the websites and apps. It's just people. And if you understand that, you can really start to tap into the different talents and unique abilities of individuals and bring them together in a collective space and try to put people in the right positions, run the right plays to uh, ultimately win the game of business. And so both of those things I pulled from athletics. Yeah, I love um, because your company is called Founders Gym and the idea of, you know, when you go to a gym, you sort of break down all the muscles that you're working on and you train each of those pieces. And you do the same thing inside of Founders Gym where you're breaking down all the pieces that you need um, to be a successful founder and really training these skills and building them up. Yeah, no, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head, Brandon. And that Founder Gym really is a culmination of my lived experiences, not just as an athlete, but an educator, an entrepreneur. Um, you know, when I decided to leave my full-time, very cushiony job at a venture capital <laughs> firm and take the plunge headfirst into full-time entrepreneurship, you know, I really did a lot of soul searching prior to making that decision about mm. You know, I know how hard this is. I've built a business from the ground up. I mean, it's one of the hardest things you could ever possibly do. (laughs) Right. And so I said, if I'm going to do this again, if I'm going to take on this risk, I want to make sure it's 100% aligned to who I really am and what I believe needs to exist in the world. And so as I was designing it and coming up with the concept and the name and everything about it, um, again, it was really just the fundamental and the underlying um, belief is that you can change, you can evolve, you can get better. And it's just about giving the pe- giving people the, the right access to those, to those things and shift starting with their mindset, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, one of the things that I love is you've shared your journey of, you know, sort of failing your first startup, but really actually learning some things during that time. And some of the stuff you learned was, you know, make sure that you're always working on something you truly love. 
um, have a 12-month financial safety net and have a psychological safety net. So could you explain why these three things are so important for founders? Yeah, <laughs> because it's hard. I mean, it, it, you these safety nets I'm talking about are in the sense of you need, like the, the financial aspect, you need money to survive, point blank, period. This is not... Mm-hmm. Business is not charity. There are not, you know, in order to be a business, it's literally a transaction of value for money. I'm going to provide you X value. And in exchange of that, you're going to provide me money. Whether you're the B business, that's business to business, a B to C business, business to consumer, whatever the configuration of your customer profile is, it doesn't matter. It's just value and money. And it's an exchange. And so in order to survive as a business, you have to, keep your eye on the money and you need a financial safety net in order to be able to not only pay yourself, but pay your employees, pay the bills of the rent, you know, the rent, the office, everything that goes involved in building a business. And then on the same side of that, though, there's other types of safety nets that you need. And you just mentioned one of them, which is a psychological safety net. You know, being a founder can be a very lonely, arduous journey. Most of the time you're probably spending it on your computer actually <laughs> right like, like people think it's so glamorous they see people on stages speaking on the cover of magazines featured on wonderful podcasts like yours branded and they think this is the life of an entrepreneur this is not i do interviews like this probably i would say one to ten percent of my time if that like ten percent is very generous most of my time is behind the computer working with my team um like really rolling up my sleeves and doing the hard work of building a business. And so the psychological safety net is is about who is in your life to help you push past your, when you get tired, to Hmm. push past the obstacles that you will undoubtedly face, to push back on, um, to help you, sorry, push past your imposter syndrome all the things that will come up and the emotions you will experience as a founder or CEO, you need people in your corner who will cheer you on, whether you want to identify them as coaches, assistant coaches, your training squad, again, just building off the analogy of the gym and athletes. um, It is crucial that you have your support structures in place. And so that's your psychological safety net. When um, you had your first startup, you talked about taking off this mask of like everything is great and, you know, everything's going up and to the right and this sort of mask of like pride and ego that founders get caught up in wearing. How did you start to take that mask off for yourself and start dealing with those things like imposter syndrome and anxiety? Oh my gosh. It took me a while, to be honest. When I did my first startup, it was between 2011, 2013. So it existed for about two and a half, three years. So in if you look at the grand scheme of things, it's like, wow, that was a short life. But it's also how the nature of tech startups. Right. It's either like you scale quickly or you die. That's kind of the nature of this business out here, especially if you take venture capital. And so I was just amongst many of the dead companies eventually, like over 92% are going to fail within the first couple of years. I was in that batch of 92. And so when that was all happening, when I was building the business, when I was trying to scale the business, when I was eventually shutting down the business, a lot of my reflections and what I share with you now about the financial safety net, the psychological safety net, that's, those are 
learnings in hindsight. You know, I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. I'm not even going to sit up here and pretend like I did. Like I was a very naive first time over ambitious, over egotistical, <laughs> like founder in the sense of that I was so worried about my image that I let that override the truth of me not really knowing what the hell I was doing. And when you don't admit to yourself that you don't know what you're doing, you don't put yourself in position to get help. And this was one of the biggest mistakes I made is that I put on that I knew what I was doing. And when I'm in meetings, I, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, everything's great. We're going to figure it out rather than going into a meeting and be like, this is what I know. This is what I don't know. And this is what I could choose your help with. And if I would have taken that approach, I think I could have much, much different outcomes. And honestly, that's the approach I've taken the second time around with Founder Gym. And the success has been tremendous so far because I've, I've learned to humble myself. And, you know, it's, it's a real delicate balance with founders around you know, I, I oftentimes tell our founders in our program this, you really have to couple humility with ambition. And mm-hmm. it's a really weird thing, but there's a, there's, a, there's a balance to it where you have to, like the ambitious part, you have to believe in yourself, in your vision, in a world that does not yet exist that you want to be a part of creating more than anything. Like you have to believe it. If you don't believe it, there's no way you're going to convince anyone else to believe it, whether you're recruiting teammates, co-founders, advisors, investors. So that's one part of who you must be, the makeup of a great founder. But the other part of it is humility. Is like you have to have that self-awareness to recognize where are you strong? Where are you weak? Where do you need to get better? And then again, surrounding yourself with people to help fill in those gaps or to help strengthen those weaknesses. Absolutely. And I love um, the direction that you've been taking, helping these underrepresented founders to really start filling those gaps. Um, One of my past guests was a transgender founder, and she shared some of the hardships that she's faced as a founder. Um, So tell me a little bit about the distance that some of these underrepresented founders have to travel to get these resources and this knowledge and these connections um, and why you've fallen in love with this problem. Yeah, what a great thing that you're doing, Brandon, with giving exposure to different types of founders and different lived experiences and identities. That is so incredibly important. So I just want to acknowledge that. I think more individuals really, really need to do that, especially when they have a platform. So um, at Founder Gym, we identify underrepresented as any founder in the industry whose basic uh, representation in the overall population is significantly greater than what it is in the tech industry. So for instance, um, the U.S. population half of the U.S. population is are women, 50%, right? But if you right. look at who's getting funded in the tech startup industry, it's like less than 10% of the mm. founders are women. So women in this industry are underrepresented when it comes to receiving financing. And that's just one example, right? We have other strands right. of founders that we support, whether it's Black or Latinx, LGBTQI, veteran. I mean, it really runs a wide variety of, of lived experiences and identities. And we're, we're very, very proud of that. The reason why I particularly am interested in serving that is because like I told you, when I made the decision to do this and again, to, to go full steam ahead with solving a problem that I felt very passionate about, the problem is really rooted in a group of people I feel passionate mm-hmm. about. 
You know, oftentimes people talk about, well, really understand the problem before you build the solution. And I'm like, I think you need to take one step further going back. You need to understand the people that have the problem. Mm -hmm in order to really build the right solution. And so for me, when I decided, well, who do I want to give my time, my talents, my energy, my life to ultimately helping? And I really decided at that point before I built Founder Gym that I was going to help founders who've historically been left out of the opportunity to use tech and investment as a vehicle for affecting change in the world. And um, that's literally been the mission of Founder Gym is that we're really trying to be a bridge that previously has not existed, giving people access to this wealth of knowledge, this wealth of network, this wealth of tactics and strategy and insider knowledge so that they can go faster and farther and participate in what has quite honestly become one of the fastest wealth generators in the world, which is the tech industry. You know, the people who ultimately build these companies and then sell these companies or IPO these companies on the stock exchange, I mean, they are generating a massive amount of wealth. And with with that wealth comes power. It comes power to fund politicians, to create laws that the rest of us have to live by. Right. So for me, Founder Gym fundamentally is about a redistribution of wealth. And it's mm-hmm. about helping people who historically have not had it understand how to get it and use it to improve their communities to further causes they care about. Absolutely. Um, you were uh, named after Nelson Mandela, who has a quote that education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. So do you feel the education you are giving these underrepresented founders with Founders Gym is doing just that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you want to bring it back to my roots of, yeah, my name, I definitely feel empowered and emboldened. And and I feel like it's my duty to live up in some way to the name I've been giving and the person I've been named after. But yeah, I think that education is a great equalizer. And I think it's about the applied education. I think one of the Mm -hmm. things that I had seen in the industry, again, I've been navigating Silicon Valley since 2011 as a complete insider. Like I genuinely knew no one. Before mm-hmm. I genuinely never took a tech entrepreneurship finance business, not a thing um, before I came out here. I'm very much like a figure it out as I go type of person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just believe in an education because I've seen what it's done for my life. But I also believe in the importance of applied education. I think that I think that where there was an opportunity in the ecosystem is that a lot of the stuff out there began and ended with inspiring people or Mm -hmm. educating them, but not really putting them through a training program to get them to change their behavior. And that's literally what we're what we're aiming to do at Founder Gym is that we're going to put you in an environment in which you've never been before. We're literally going to give you a sample of what it's like to be a full-time startup founder and prepare you for the real world of what you will need to succeed. And we do that in a condensed format. It's six weeks. It's very intense, but it is a training program. So not only are we educating you, but we're getting you to change your behaviors real time so that you can then change the results of your life. Yeah. Talk to me about when you were first gaining the resources and knowledge um, and having to go through the plethora of information that's out there. Obviously, we're connected to the Internet. We can almost Google anything. So how do you find the right information and not get stuck in analysis paralysis? (laughs) 
oh, analysis paralysis. That is the, that is the, I feel like one of the biggest obstacles for people. It's not an obstacle that anybody else creates for themselves, but themselves. Right. Um, I think the thing is to come to terms with that. Like, yes, like you said, we all have information at our fingertips with a smartphone, a computer, a tablet. I mean, it's just the information is out there. And I heard a quote before that's always stuck with me, but it was like, um, it was something along the lines, like if, it, if, if every, if, if all it took to get people healthy was like another diet book, like we'd all be have walk around with six packs, you know what I mean? Right. More than that. And I really took that to heart as I was thinking about designing um, Founder Gym. And I just lost my train of thought, Brandon. Can you repeat the question really quickly? Yeah. How do we um, kind of filter through all this knowledge that is out there and then, you know, not get stuck in that analysis paralysis, yeah. knowing which one's the right information? Yeah, I think a big part of it is, again, understanding that there's always going to be more information to process than there is time to process. It is always going to feel overwhelming. Even for me, Mm -hmm. I'm in search of an answer. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to, how many blog posts should I read before I feel equipped to know? Like, you're never going to feel equipped to know. I think that's the thing is like Mm -hmm. coming to terms and accepting the fact that you have to go at some point with whatever information you have. It's like at some point you have to take action on it. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you're going to set this unrealistic expectation for you to have X amount of customer surveys and X percent of this before I can and even launch what I want. You will learn so much faster by putting something out, putting it into the hands of people, getting their feedback than you ever could just reading your 57th blog post. So I think part of my competitive advantage has been that I just am willing to go for it. And I am willing to jump and then I believe I think in myself enough at this point where I'm like, I'm gonna figure it out. I don't need to have it perfectly baked, the whole recipe book done. I may just have the first 50 pages done out of a 500 page book, but I'm willing to put it out there to get the reaction. And so a bit of it, again, goes back to that humility piece is not being afraid to look dumb or to be wrong or to be stupid in other people's eyes. Screw other people. It doesn't matter. You don't, you're not living for their approval. I think it's really about focusing on what you want to do, but ultimately it always needs to be grounded in the people you're serving, the problems that they have, and just making sure you're staying true to that. But so again, to tie this up with a bow, I would say number one is you just have to recognize there's going to be more information out there than there is time to process it. And number two is that you're never going to feel a hundred percent ready. Get over it. Jump anyway. Absolutely. I think because of the nature of building a startup, of trying to create this thing that's never been made before, we face this huge amount of uncertainty. And so then we um, find that uncertainty in ourselves and we don't trust our gut. And so I love the advice of, you know, just going for it, just um, getting it out there and seeing what's going to happen because honestly, nobody has the answer. You're creating it along the way. Yeah. And what I will say too, is that a big thing that I did differently my second time around than my first time around and what we built into the core infrastructure at Founder Gym is community. You know, mm-hmm. if you, why are we just relying on our relationship with the internet? 
to figure out how to build a business. There are so many other people out there who are two steps ahead of you, three steps ahead of you, who've already failed at what you're trying to do or your version of what you're trying to do. Why are we, why are so many of us not reaching out to more people asking for help, asking for advice? So I'm a huge, I'm a huge advocate for creating mastermind groups and making sure that you are pairing up with people and meeting with them on a recurring basis so that you can go faster and farther and get that information from other people's wisdom and lived experiences rather than from strangers on the internet. That is something I fundamentally have changed about the way I operate. And then I have my own mastermind group where we're exchanging ideas or running different experiments and we get to exchange the results of those and the learnings and the best practices. So not only am I benefiting from running my own experiences, but by putting myself in a community of other people, they're sharing their knowledge. I'm, I'm just, I'm just bypassing people <laughs> left and right. Right. Yeah. You have this belief that if you master people, you were master business and you even have like an online course, um, which was like the preamble before Founders Gym, which was how to communicate like a boss. Yeah. And so how do we go about building our network, especially understanding this idea that it's not about you? Oh my gosh, Brandy, you've done your homework. I haven't <laughs> heard someone bring up Communicate Like a Boss since 2017 when I launched it. Wow. So yeah, that was the that was my first pilot for Founder Gym. It was an online course that I had run. I did about two cohorts to just test the model of like, do do people want this? Do they enjoy <laughs> online education? Am I good at online education? What kinks do I need to work out? And Communicate Like a Boss literally is around this concept of what I call people magnets. And how do you become a magnet of people? Because at the end of the day, you need people to be successful. I don't care what field you're in. And so what is it that you need to communicate or how do you need to communicate in a one-on-one conversation like we're having right now versus a small group conversation versus on stage versus via email versus in written format or on Instagram, on Twitter, you know, all of these, these formats have different kind of rules or codes of conduct or even the person, the recipient on the end of your message, you need to be cognizant of that. But that is so, so important. And so how that we even incorporate that into Founder Gym, the curriculum we teach at Founder Gym right now, this is just the beginning, is fundraising, which is teaching founders how to get investors interested in them and their ideas, so much so that the investor is actually going to pull out their checkbook and wire you and, and give you money, right, to scale mm-hmm. your that's a big deal that if you can figure out how to do that and that's a muscle you can develop, oh, you will be mighty successful <laughs> as a founder because it's the same skill, the same skill set you need to secure investment from it, um, from a venture capitalist or angel investor or get admitted to an accelerator is the same skill set you need to recruit a co-founder to recruit. Mm-hmm. I, I think you were telling me the linchpin employees, right? Right. Like you, to recruit, to get journalists interested in writing about you. It's all about how do you position yourself as an interesting person with an interesting company that other people should perk up and care about, right? So um, so that's a big, big, big part of my belief system and my teaching philosophy around just understanding fundamentally, it's not about you. And mm-hmm. the sooner you can understand that and the sooner you can like position yourself to be a value to other people, oh, you are going to be just fine, just fine. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And so 
one of the big things that you're teaching these um, founders is how to raise funding, how to raise capital. And I think you do an excellent job at that. But something I want to touch on is actually keeping the lights on at home. So when you, um, you know, took, you failed your first startup, you took a job as the global director at Startup Weekend and basically used that to help raise your personal capital back up and be able to take that second leap. So give our listeners a little bit of advice on, you know, keeping the lights on at home while building a startup. Yeah, I I just feel like when you are choosing to be a founder, not everybody chooses. A lot of people in the world have to do this out of necessity because they there are not a lot of job opportunities. And so they must become an entrepreneur. Many Mm -hmm. people that I see today are choosing to be an entrepreneur, meaning that they are employable at other places, but they are choosing to opt out of the nine to five and to join the crazy ones out here trying (laughs) to change the world. And so knowing that you're signing up, you have to know that this is a lifestyle choice, that you're dedicating a good amount of your waking hours to the development of your business. Like again, if eight hours are dedicated to sleeping, that's 16 hours left. So another eight minimum that you're dedicating to your business, but more than likely, it's definitely going to be closer to maybe 12, sometimes 18, especially. I mean, it's wild. So you just have to be at that peace with the decision you're making and you need to get other people who are like core stakeholders (laughs) in your life, whether that's romantic partners, children, whoever is going to be affected by this decision, you need to loop them in. But I would say is that again, um, entrepreneurship is a survival skill. And when you are choosing to be an entrepreneur, you are choosing to survive without a consistent paycheck. And it's up to you to figure out how to bring in that money. So there will more than likely be a period of time when you are starting a business where your business is not generating any revenue. You may not have a product to sell. You may not have a service to sell. So how are you keeping the lights on? What I oftentimes did, uh, like every job, excuse me, every time I build a business is I have used my nine to five job as the funding source for my business, meaning that I would take a portion of my paycheck every two weeks, put it in a separate bank account where I couldn't touch it because that's my jump jar. That's my piggy bank so that when I hit a certain number, I can go, I can jump. And again, that's where you need to create runway for yourself, six to 12 months, right? Where you have enough money saved up that you'll be able to survive because it's going to take that long for you to build something that generates its own revenue. And so, um, so again, I, I think it's extremely important to be strategic about creating this financial safety net, safety net, whether it's a jump jar, whatever you want to call it. Um, because once you run out of money, you run out of options. I mean, that's it's literally the name of the game. I mean, you must keep your eyes on the money at all times because that literally is your oxygen to survive. You're going to suffocate without the money. And so um, you can also, so again, one of the approaches I've taken was taking a portion of my salary percentage and putting that aside in my entrepreneur's piggy bank or my jump jar. Another approach is that you can build your business, but take on side jobs. I wrote a whole medium post like years ago about great job ideas for entrepreneurs, meaning while you're trying to build your business, what are some not necessarily easy to do, but flexible, um, not really too intense brain activities that you could do in in exchange for compensation to keep the lights on while you build out this new revenue stream. And so those things could be like, I I did babysitting, I did tutoring, I did soccer Mm. 
coaching. I did online database tagging, anything that was kind of flexible um, that, again, didn't take up too much of my creative energy because I wanted to reserve that for my business. But, oh, yeah, I've been I've been a hustler for a while. And and again, uh, the thing I do want to say is that I don't want to glamorize just being a hustler because I think a lot of people stay in that mode. Where they actually say, you know, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to keep the lights on, da, da, da. And I'm like, yeah, but that's cool at the beginning. But eventually the whole point of this was to build a business Mm. that will sustain you and your employees and grow. So at some point you have to look in the mirror and be like, when am I actually going to transition? And what is going to be required for me to fully transition to a full-time entrepreneur where my business is sustaining my lifestyle and the lifestyle of the employees I need to scale it? Yeah, absolutely. You have uh, you've talked about creating a personal mission statement for yourself um, before you ever create a business mission statement and that that business should be serving that. So how did you go about creating that for yourself and what does it look like today? Yeah, this is another huge concept, um, Brandon. I'm so glad you brought it up. And again, this is not my own idea at all. This actually came from a book I've read and reread many times. I'm actually re-listening to it right now. Um, Is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Mm -hmm. Covey. And this is one of the main premises of his book. He's like, everything starts with you and you need to start with the end in mind. Meaning like literally one of the first chapters asks you or prompts you to write your own obituary. If you... Mm -hmm die, what do you, what would you want people to say about you at the end of your life, right? As you're coming to your funeral and it really grounds you and reflecting on what the hell matters, right? Okay. Like what actually matters? What impact do you want to make? How do you want people to remember you? And that mission statement has been so fundamental to like as my guiding principle to how I make decisions and where I spend my time and where I don't spend my time. And your personal mission statement, again, is who are you? What do you want to do? What impact do you want to make? You can Google it. There's a million and one different versions. And again, you're going to have to choose which one and then move on. Um, but you, you write your mission statement and then there you, that's who you are on paper. That's really what you want. The goal then is to build a business that serves your personal mission. Your business needs to be directly aligned. It needs to fit in with that. And what will happen if it doesn't, and I've seen this many times, is you will experience pain. Whenever your fundamental blueprint does not match the reality of your life, that's when people get unhappy. That's when they experience pain. But the closer you can align who you actually are and what you want to what you're doing in your everyday life and the impact you're having, the happier you're going to be. And so step one, create your personal mission statement. Step two, then create your business mission statement and make sure they are aligned. That is incredibly important. Um, And you seem pretty into personal development. Um, I've seen that you even got like a life coach after closing your first startup. And you have this um, idea of to be a great CEO of a company, you have to be a great CEO of yourself. So tell us why developing yourself as a founder actually helps your company as a whole. Oh yeah, because I mean, you're you set the tone for everything. You're the you're you're, you're the culture starter, the culture stopper. Everything um, starts and ends with you, the CEO. And it really is again about like understanding, knowing that you're the final decision maker on mm-hmm. most things in your business, unless you've, again, been great at delegating, you have other top executives you're working with and you trust and you completely let them have sole decision-making partner, uh, sole decision-making power over certain aspects of the business. 
uh, most people are not there yet in their development. So what I'm going to say is you can only grow your business so far as you understand what business can be, right? Mm -hmm. So if you only understand, if you've only ever built a business up to generate a couple tens of thousands of dollars, that's where your level of understanding is on how to do this. Maybe you've never reached the $100,000 mark, or maybe you never reached the million or the 10 million, right? Like it's hard it's like, again, understanding that in order for your business to reach those goals, you have to become a CEO that understands how to reach those goals, right? So you constantly have to be putting yourself through a workout and a training regimen to make sure you're constantly leveling up your skills so that your business can level up alongside you. And what I don't want, again, I've seen this happen, um, you know, several times when you start involving other stakeholders in your business, whether they're your co-founders are advisors, but especially investors, because investors are giving you, not giving you, but they're investing money in your business right. in exchange for equity. So they actually own pieces of your company. And as you get larger and larger, you get more and more investors potentially, and they have more governing power. And so there's situations where you don't level up as a CEO, they can replace you, right? Mm. So who you were as a CEO um, in year one, needs to be different than who you are in year three, in year five. You have to level up. And there's a lot of good information, even if you look at, for example, Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg is an engineer. He's a product person. When it came to scaling Facebook, he needed a lot of help. He's very weak when it comes to people operations, right? All the other aspects of the business he either didn't like or just wasn't good at. So what did he do? He found himself a Sheryl Sandberg, right? So right. Under, this is, again, there's common themes here, humility, self-awareness, asking for help. Like you're not going to be perfect at everything, but you need to understand where your weaknesses are and you need to understand how those weaknesses are affecting the business. And you need to level up. Either you yourself need to level up or you need to recruit teammates who can fill in those gaps. Absolutely. And there's been quite a few values. I mean, you've talked about humility, you've talked about asking for help. Um, and in one researching you, I found a lot of values that you got from your dad. Um, you know, how to be powerful, how to have courage and being connected with something bigger. You even played like my girl at your wedding um, because it, it reminded you of that. And so what are some of the key values you've learned from your dad that shaped your success? Oh, yeah, my dad. So, yeah, my dad passed away um, suddenly when I was a freshman in college. And it's always been um, a big turning point, absolutely, in my life. Um, my dad was my everything. He still very much is. But I would say if I reflected on the biggest things I've learned from him, I just, I really think I get my gumption from him. Like, he mm. did not give a damn about <laughs> what anyone thought of him. And it was so inspiring to me to see someone go out in the world where they believed in themselves so much and they didn't let other people's opinions of them ever deter them from showing up as who they authentically were. And it took me a while to actually get to that place myself. Like I admire it from afar. I used to be like, wow, that's awesome. But I can't be like that. Like I just cared too much about what other people thought of me. Like I was a P I had the disease to please for way too long in my life. <laughs> And it was a hindrance. And I think one of the biggest things is, again, just walking in your truth. And what I've realized is that the more I've done that, the more successful I've been. And so mm -hmm. it's just like, you just got to do it at first. I remember the first time 
that article you were referencing about like taking off the mask. And when I really put my authentic thoughts out in the world, Medium, the blogging platform had just started. I was an early adopter. Um, I was like, you know what? F it. I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to tell the world what I really think. And I did. And I remember sitting on my couch and my boyfriend at the time. And I was like, should I push publish? Like I need mm-hmm. a vanity check. He's like, I don't know. And I said, I got to do this. I got to do this for myself. And I pushed publish. I cannot tell you, Brandon, how many people reached out to me as a result of that post saying, oh, my gosh, this is exactly how I feel. Thank you so much for admitting this. Like, it's like everybody's going on in this world wearing masks and pretending that everything's okay, And it's not like we need to talk about this because otherwise we perpetuate this stereotype or this image that like to be a great founder, you got to be strong all the time or you got to be perfect all the time or it's always working all the time. And that's just not the truth. And so as I learned to live my truth, again, I I realized that it gave other people permission to live theirs. And that's one of the biggest gifts you can give to other people is just helping them find their voice and helping them find the courage to be themselves. And so my father was that for me. And now I've had the great fortune of becoming that for a lot of other people. Um, So yeah, by far, that's one of the biggest legacies he's left me. Another thing is, is just the level of empathy that my father had for other people. You know, both of my parents were civil rights attorneys. Like we talked about, I was named after Nelson Mandela. You can just imagine the household I grew up in, the conversations around the dinner table. Right. But just the fact that our lives are never about just us. They were always in consideration of how our choices affect other people and how we do have power and abilities. We were never wealthy or rich or anything, but there's still a power in being educated and having, whether it's a right to vote or a right to march on the streets, to, 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 to have, take a stand on something in, in, in relation to how this world is or is not treating other people well. And so, so again, a core part of Founder Gym is helping people, like I said, who've historically been left out of opportunities. And that's a big part of who my father has always been um, and, and who I fundamentally am at this point. Um, so, yeah, those are two of the biggest things. Yeah, you're about to go into motherhood, which congratulations. What are some of the things that you are going to pass along to your children? Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I literally, <laughs> I uh, I could, I could, the baby can come any day now. <laughs> so, um, and I'm very excited and very grateful. So thank you so much. Um, the, the things I want to pass on, wow, to my daughter, um, would be, I, I, I think it's a lot of what I shared in the sense of, you know, you know, life becomes really fulfilling and rewarding when it's not about yourself. And it really is about the advancement of everyone. And it's just a, it's a totally different level of joy and purpose. And that's something I am living through. I've continued to live through and I, and I hope to pass on to her. Um, I think, uh, let me think beyond that. And, and again, you'll see this show up in like the founder gym, what I talked about, but like you can choose who you want to be and who you create yourself to be. And you can recreate yourself at any time. I think that's another big thing for me is that you don't have to stay in a box and you don't have to accept the world you were born into. You can change it at any point and you don't have to believe in other people's dogma or doctrines or anything like that, that those were 
all created by other people. And you are a person too, with a voice and creativity, and you can mold yourself into who you want to be and, and, and help create a different type of world that you want to exist. And, and I just really believe in that personal power to change yourself so that you can then change the world. And it's something I live by and it's something I want to make sure she understands for herself. Um, and that'll probably be a tricky thing for me to be honest with you, as I help her or I try to let her have her own life and navigate it as she will. You know, I think part of the parental instincts is you want to, you know, you don't want them to go down certain paths where you're like, I already know how this is going to end up. Like, (laughs) don't go there. But they have to have their own lessons. They have right. to go away. So I actually think that um, to flip the question a little bit on what am I going to learn? <laughs> I think this is, I think parenthood is a big opportunity of growth for me to mm. let people have their own lived experiences and journeys and and to, and to understand that they're going to have to learn hard lessons, um, even if it's painful for me to watch so that they can evolve into who they're supposed to be. Absolutely. Um, And one of the things um, that I am looking to tackle in the future is where our education system is going and how education is taught. And I believe one of these things in education is um, teaching some of these life lessons, not just, you know, how to do math or how to um, do these different things that we teach now, but really thinking about, you know, critical thinking, thinking about, you know, how can we evolve ourselves, be able to adapt and you have a TEDx talk about um, education saying that, you know, it's a social construct that we created, um, but now it may not be working. And so where do you see education going? How do we work some of these things in there? So, so wait, your question is around how do we work critical thinking? Yeah, you work these other concepts like critical thinking and some of the stuff that we've been talking about today. Um, you know, developing yourself, developing um, communication, you know, things that haven't been traditionally taught in education and that we just kind of have to fumble and learn through trial and error. How can we start facilitating some of that? Yeah. So, um, and again, just to give people context, my background is as a trained educator. I have a uh, a master's in education, administration, and policy. And I started my PhD program in urban schooling, but I dropped out to do my first startup. And so I've been thinking a lot about this. And that's the reason I wanted to bring that up is that even when I was in my PhD program, it was so interesting, again, how um, I was just in this space of academia where we just think about the problems that we wouldn't otherwise have time to think about, you know, working with children every day in a school setting. And I spent a lot, a lot, a lot of time thinking about this, but I really do believe that it is about like, you can either take the approach of trying to change the current infrastructures that exist, Mm -hmm. or you can break out form partnerships with people of like mind and create new infrastructures and test out those things. So being someone who's worked in both type of environments, both those where I've been on the inside and they're kind of old school, archaic, just repeating the way things have done, the paradigms that have been perpetuated forever um, and trying to change things. And it can be really, really hard where I think, you know what? It's so interesting you bring this up, Brandon, because I think my lived experiences, and I don't know if I've ever realized this until you just brought it up right now. I think my lived experiences struggling to affect change in the school systems that I worked in was Mm -hmm. a big impetus for me falling so head over heels for entrepreneurship. 
Mm. Because with entrepreneurship, I no longer have to play by other people's rules, right? Right. I no longer have to navigate and try to do politics in someone else's system. With entrepreneurship, if I believe something exists, and I know there's a a significant amount of people who believe it too and who would want it and would pay for it or use it or whatnot, I could just go build it. I don't need to get permission. I don't need to wait for you to get the sign off. I can just go do it. And Mm -hmm. that to me is awesome. Awesome. And that is, again, that literally was, now in reflection, my segue into entrepreneurship, where at the time I was a teacher, I went to an event called Startup Week in Education, which was a hackathon. Mm -hmm. I presented an idea, recruited a team, built a product. And I was like, WTF? Oh, my gosh. This is a world I didn't even know existed. These are my people. This <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, I want to move fast. I want to break things. I want to change things. I don't want to have to ask permission and kiss rings and do all this stuff. I just want to help people. And so it was such, uh, entrepreneurship is incredibly empowering. And I fell, like I said, head over heels and I have never looked back. Well, I love where this discussion is going, but before we wrap up um, with our last question, where can everybody find you and what you've been working on? Yeah, so my company is called Founder Gym. You can definitely go to foundergym.com and we're literally launching our 11th cohort um, very, very soon. So you definitely want to tune in there to figure out how to apply and how to get plugged into our community and our training program. But aside from that, Brandon, I love to hang out on Instagram. (laughs) That's like my daily journal where you'll see me talking to you, sharing my tidbits of advice. Maybe you'll see my dog, Marley. You probably meet my new daughter because she's coming any day now. Um, But yeah, on Instagram, my handle is Mandela, M-A-N-D-E-L-A-S-H. Awesome. My very last question is, how can we push the world to evolve? Ooh, how can we push the world to evolve? I definitely think we can push the world to evolve if more people understood that they have a unique superpower. There Mm. is something that they can do better than anyone else on the planet. And if they understand that, that's step one. Step two is if they decide to live that superpower, like actually own it, like recognize it. That's, that's what makes you different and better and special. And, and just, just coming to peace with that. And the number three is like, how are you using your superpower in service of humanity? And if you can do those things, there will be no shortage of success, abundance for both yourself as well as the world. So that by far is the thing that I think will help the world evolve. I love that answer. And I thank you so much for dropping all of these knowledge bombs that you did today. Guys, if you want more of these, um, if you want to figure out how to accelerate your superpower, go and check out Mandela's founder, Jim. Like she just said, they are about to do their 11th cohort, which is amazing. So definitely check that out. And Mandela, thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, thank you so much, Brandon. This is an awesome show, an awesome platform. And it says a lot about the questions that you were asking. I can tell you're really passionate about this and you did a wonderful job. So I'm honored to be on the show. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Hey, you. Yes, you. I want to thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, then please open up your podcast app rate and review. That's really going to help get this life-changing content out to more entrepreneurs just like you who are pushing the world forward. As always, my friend, keep evolving.